This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Chaos, a Tessa Avery novel by Lucy Roy, and Nick read Ghoster by Jason R. Knapp. It's Bibliovile! Welcome to another week of your terrible book exchange podcast, the podcast about a terrible book exchange. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back after an extended break, but that's only because you got the last episode early, you bastards. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Probably never going to happen again. Yeah, early is not on the list of possibilities (laughs) for a long time here. Uh, But we had a wonderful vacation, which is why we had to put it out early. We did. We had a great time. We visited Teddy Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota and Glacier National Park in Montana. Glacier was just as beautiful as everyone described it to be, and we absolutely loved it. But I got to say, my favorite part of the trip was North Dakota. Completely underrelated, underrelated, underrated state. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because it's under everything. Underpopulated, underdeveloped. Undervisited. Undervisited. We stayed in a tiny little town with a fun name. It wasn't that tiny, actually. It was, no, it was, it was a pretty, pretty good sizable town, town yeah. uh, named Dickinson, North Dakota, and it spelled was spelled just like we spell our name, just like the real name. Uh, and we had a grand old time. We we got there and stopped at a brewery that, although was nice, it was a good uh, place. It seemed like the thing that they feared most was that their beer would taste like beer. And so they're like, we made a lager out of the best Viennese hops and uh, the everything. And then we put a shit ton of peaches in it. Have our peach juice. It was such a bummer because this is the kind of brewery that I would have loved. I love a fruity beer. I love a sour. And that was almost everything on the menu except for one IPA and one... Roosevelt red red ale. ale. And I am pregnant, so I can't drink. So that was a huge bummer because I think I would have really liked it. Um, but we had a great time. We visited Dickinson State University. Uh, mm-hmm. We got a picture in front of the Dickinson High School sign. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, Going to pick up a Dickinson High School uh, merch for all my family. And it turns out the high school in Dickinson, North Dakota, still in the year of our Lord, 2021, is the Dickinson Midgets. Do you want to know what? There's a high school in rural northern Iowa that's mascot is the Midgets. Yeah. We should probably change that, friends. Um, but uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, incredible. Everyone we encountered in Dickinson was great. One of the coolest coffee shops I've ever seen. It was in an old church, and I just super loved the vibe. And I have been in a lot of coffee shops as a person who traveled for a while for their job so it was overall go to north dakota friends we really loved it yeah and as uncool as the dickinson high school mascot was dickinson uh has its own minor league baseball team it's not named the dickinson whatever but it's named the badlands and their mascot the badlands big sticks and i love it to no end their mascot teddy is roosevelt. teddy roosevelt it was so great yeah we, mick bought a hat we would have gone to a game if we had realized that the team existed the night that we got there instead yeah. of the next night. Um, if we ever go back, that is high on the priority list, is to go to a Badlands oh, yeah. Big Sticks game. 
You gotta, you gotta watch the big sticks if you gotta understand <laughs> Dickinson. And uh, now that we have been back for a solid week, uh, we can say the trip was worth it. All, all that driving was worth it because the day we got back from all that driving, I wasn't so sure. Yeah, it was a lot of driving. We thought for a hot minute about doing the trip all at once. Mick was really interested to see if he could drive for twenty-two and a half hours straight. Uh, I could have. About twelve hours in, we decided, nope, that's really not going to happen because it turns out being pregnant makes you really uncomfortable in a car for long stretches of time. Plus, my phone fell off the roof of my car. I didn't know if you wanted to mention that, oh, so yeah. I didn't bring it up. But here we are. We stopped in Spearfish, South Dakota, for some Burger King and a, uh, a gas station break. And Mick got out of the car and was doing some stretchy stretch, and apparently put his phone on the roof of the car while he was stretching. And then drove away. Uh, thanks, guy in a Wisconsin shirt. This just proves my thesis that everyone from Wisconsin is awful. Yeah. And ruins my phone. Terrible. I got a new one. But yeah, it all wound up fine. The funniest thing was we actually found the phone. Uh, the screen was <laughs> cracked into oblivion, so it was no longer, like, you could no longer use the phone. Seeing as people had ran over it, it on yeah, the interstate. Yeah, there were definitely tire marks on the phone case on the back, which was cute. Uh, but when we got back into the car with the phone and the destroyed screen, the phone connected, like, Spotify connected to the car. So the phone worked. We probably could have made a phone call through the car. Good good looking out, Pixel 4a, 5G. Yeah, Google, you make a good phone. I guess. Enjoy uh, all my data. But now we uh, we are back home. Mick has a functioning phone yep. again. Um, Finn has stopped being mad at us. He stayed at uh, what I kept referring to as Camp Grandma for a week where I think he gained five pounds from all the extra treats that he got. Had a great time hanging out with Mick's parents. Uh, was very excited to see us. And then after the first hour or two, remembered that we had left him for seven days and was like, oh, no, I'm mad at you. And then proceeded to ignore us for 48 hours. Yeah. So uh, we are we are got back. And then now that we are out of data, we had nothing to do but read. And so here we are with your two bad books, the 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 episode i always want to say week it's not a week it's two it's weeks week. yeah um so sue you had to read some bullshit about greek mythology again i forget everything about it so please tell me about your book okay so i'm gonna tell you about chaos which thanks for getting me book one in a series for once damn I it appreciate that um this is a series about a young woman who was raised as a human but after her 18th birthday, she goes to Olympus, uh, where she gets her immortal powers and becomes an Ashira, uh, who are like the guardians of the Greek gods. And I'm going to tell you about this book. But I'm also going to really tell you about the impact that Twilight has had on fantasy books. Can I guess? Sure. Are there, is she caught in a love triangle? No. So it's oh. not so much the romance as like some of the the tropes that I feel like became pretty synonymous with Twilight and other people tried to use. So first of all, the idea that, um, and this is all of young adult fiction of like, of course, the only people capable of saving the world are teenagers. And that, that was I would present. Say that's more Hunger Games. That was present before Twilight. That's been a big thing for a long time. But the idea of this, like, kind of this very normal seeming 
teenager from a small town that barely makes it onto the map is going to find her way into magical powers and um, is going to attract the attention of a man who is thousands of years old, but for some reason is still interested in a high school student from Renville, Arkansas or wherever. Can I guess? Can I guess? He's a Mr. Darcy type. No, he Damn actually it. no. I, that's why I'm telling you. It's like the it's not Twilighty in the romance. There's just some Twilight kind of tropes in there. Um, so I'll I'll kind of give you a little bit of a description of the plot. So Tessa has always known that she is going to become an Ashira. So it's not the Harry Potter like you're a wizard, Harry. You're an Ashira, Tessa. She I'm was what? she was raised by guardians who were specifically bow, selected. Bow, bow, bow to like be the parents to like to raise an Ashira. Um, she graduates high school and then she and three of her friends uh, go or two of her friends wind up going to Olympus and beginning their training. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. I, it's not a quick question. It's a more of an observation. So Olympus is where the Greek gods live, right? Sure. On top of Olympus. Yep. That's like an actual mountain. It's not like Elysium, like this fake place. Yeah. Olympus is like an actual mountain, yep. and the gods live on top of it. Yep. It's not that tall of a mountain. Yeah, so the training happens in the town at the foot of the mountain, which is a resorty little town called Olympia. That's kind of fun. And it is kind of fun. There are some, like, mortal be or immortal beings that have basically just, like, set up restaurants and boutiques and stuff in Olympia and they're mostly patronized by the Ashira during their training and so it's like that part is kind of fun that there's like a an American restaurant that was set up in the 1950s that's very much like the quintessential diner um there's a French restaurant that supposedly like was started in the 1800s and serves like the most authentic French food and all this stuff so like there's there's some fun things in there um, but they go to Olympia and they begin their training. There's a very Harry Potter-esque thing at the beginning where instead of putting on a hat and telling them what house they're going to be sorted into, uh, they meet with... Oh, you know there's going to be houses. They meet with a coercer uh, who is going to tell them what their abilities are. So it's not houses, it's abilities. Some are elementalists where they can manipulate the elements. Some are mentalists like telekinetics and such. Now, this almost goes without saying, but all of that was in title case, right? Oh, sure. Of yeah. course it was. Also, a mentalist is about reading body language, not being psychic. Nope. In this, it's about being psychic. Um, more, more than just being psychic, like having Jean Grey brain powers. Yeah. You know that Greek mythology where some people have Jean Grey uh, mind powers or whatever? That's Chaos by a Tessa Avery novel by Lucy something. Um, so... Of course, Tessa winds up being unique. She's special. Ah. And the way in which Tessa is special, apparently most Ashira, there's about 300 of them in this recruitment class, most of them wind up having one ability. I was gonna say. Yep. Everyone's yeah. I don't hear a lot of Twilight. I'm hearing a lot of Hunger Games, a lot of Divergent. Yeah, and, and a little bit of Harry Potter. But so um, they... It, it is not 
completely abnormal, but fairly rare for people to have, for an Ashira to have two abilities. Um, there's, there was one several classes ago who has five and she's real special. She winds up being one of the like trainers because she can help so many different new recruits. Um, but it turns out we sort of learn over the course of events in the middle of the book that Tessa has a talent in everything. What? If she sees someone, it doesn't have to be an Ashira. It can be one of the gods or one of the elders or whatever. If she sees someone using a specific power, she can then use it. So if it's been used around her, she can use it. And Listen. I don't mean to sound like the uh, star- the worst people in the Star Wars universe, but yeah. this sounds a bit like what we might call a Mary Sue. She just gets to do everything. It sounds like she is the asshole on the playground that always had a shield or the gunshots always missed or always had every superpower. Can I ask, how is this interesting to read if she gets to do everything? So it's interesting to read because we're seeing her like figure out how to use it. All these powers are not innate. Like as soon as you get them, you can use them perfectly. They really have to work and train and go through essentially boot camp um, to learn how to use their powers. So she, we see her like basically discovering all of her powers and figuring out how to use them, blah, blah, blah. The part that was pretty funny is that this is basically like their their boot camp or whatever is basically pitched as like a summer camp slash college orientation. Like they live in dorms, they have roommates, they have young trainers who are like really excited and like, all right, guys, let's group up. We're going to start our day with some icebreakers. Um, and that part is actually like it. it is kind of funny, like these immortal beings who are supposed to protect the gods of Olympus, but they have to you know, start their training somewhere. And so they start at this like summer camp kind of thing. What threats are the gods of Olympus under? Well, they're on the brink of war, wouldn't you know? What? So throughout the course of the beginning and middle of the book, Tessa falls in love with one of the trainers. His name is Nathaniel. Oh, that's way boring. She's She calls him Nate. Um, and it's she's more boring. Sorry, she starts other Nates, but I yeah. thought this was going to be like a Rindelin or something like well, that. Well, here's the it's thing. Greek. We, here's the thing. We do meet a lot of the other gods, Ares and Athena wind up taking a more active role in training Tessa once they figure out that she's a mimic. That's what it's called when she can use any power she's seen before. So we get to know Ares and Athena. We meet Zeus and Apollo, uh, Dionysius, Her- Hermes, Herms. Hermes. Hermes. Um, So we do meet a lot of the gods, and we start to learn more and more about Nathaniel. So they go on a couple dates. They start to fall for each other. They smooch. Um, But she feels like she can't really, like, he's not really letting her in. She doesn't know much about his past or whatever. She has been having, um, since she was getting ready to come to Olympia, she started having these dreams. They're very vivid. Um, Some of them are nightmares. Did Basically, she see somebody else having a dream and now she can dream? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, no, actually, Nathaniel read her mind and an awakened powers in her was what happened. <sighs> it turns out these dreams are flashbacks because Nathaniel is not who Tessa thought he was, but Tessa is not who Tessa thought she was either. 
So Nathaniel, it turns out, is not an Asherah. He is actually a god. He is one of the many sons of Zeus and Hera. So he is a sibling to Athena and Ares and Apollo and all of those folks. She gets really upset because he didn't tell her and blah, blah, blah. Um, She also has a really uncomfortable meet the parents, which that's pretty funny, too. This no, I, I'm interrupting you a lot. But That's okay. Is are these Greek gods written with any sort of respect to their mythological personalities? Is Zeus just like are they basically all assholes? Yes, for the most part. Athena, not so much. Um, but a lot of the rest of them, yes. Like actual Greek mythology assholes, like not Zeus to that to, level. Does Zeus try to put the moves on her? No, not to that level. Man, she like it's all bullshit. I, well, it's all bullshit anyway. Um, but the the real twist at the end is that Tessa isn't who she thought she was either. Tessa is actually a Titaness. Which why can't we just call her a Titan? Why can't they just all be Titans? It's stupid. Because anyway, it's a goddess. She's a Titaness. She is the twin sister of Atlas. Their other two siblings are Prometheus and Epimetheus, who are also twins. Apparently, twins run in their family. (laughs) Um, She was put in danger all 3,000 years ago. And so her mom, Clymene, sacrificed herself so that a witch named Hecate could take Tessa's soul and send it into the void, chaos, um, to keep her soul safe. And then her soul was reawakened and put in this human body. And then she was trained in, as an Asherah, but she's not actually an Asherah. And so Nathaniel, when he like read her mind, unlocked some of her memories. And so the big thing at the end is that she's trying to reconcile her human memories from the last 18 years with like thousands of years of memories of being a Titan. And then they decide that she and Epimetheus and Prometheus are about to, are going to go find and rescue Atlas, their brother. Here's the thing that I find really funny. We never address if Tessa is her actual name or not. Because if you think about it, like, can you imagine that you had four children? Ephemetheus. Atlas. Tessa. Like, that part cracked me up. Um, Yeah, it was a whole thing. So she turns out to be more than she expected. She's the Titan. She's going to go on this big mission to go rescue her brother. The thing that was very bibliophile about this book is that it really felt the entire time like it could not decide what it wanted to be. Twilight has all this other nonsense in it with the vampire wars and the vulturi and whatever. But ultimately, Twilight is a romance. It is a story about a human girl falling in love with a vampire. Mr. Darcy. Oh. Yeah. And so the the whole point of Twilight and what it always comes back to is the romance. Like that is the the main focus of Twilight for good or for ill. This Ill. could not decide if it wanted to focus on the romance in that way or if it wanted to be like a book one of Harry Potter, like girl goes to magic school kind of thing or if it wanted to be a really dramatic Hunger Games divergent, this one girl has to save the world. And so it tried to mash all three of those things together. And it wound up being 
so long. Like you finished your book way before I did, despite the fact that I spent a ton of time reading it. Oh, well, you're a it, slow reader. I am. I'm notoriously yeah. slow reader. <laughs> um, it just kept going, and there were so many unnecessary things. Like it wanted to be the fun magic high school romp, and so there were all of these scenes of. Her making friends with the other Ashira trainees and going bathing suit shopping in the stores in Olympia and all the stuff. But like then it tried to be this really dramatic. Her memories were erased and everyone's memories of her were erased. And she used to be best friends with Athena and all of this stuff. And it just like none of that actually fits together. Or mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, uh, bathing suits, is she really hot, but she doesn't know it, and that's what makes her hot? Um, kind of. Like, this is the other thing about, and and this felt very Twilighty too. There was really no reason why Nathaniel, who's a four thousand year old god, would fall in love with this human girl at the beginning, but he like immediately does. He's just immediately drawn to her, and they're in love for no reason. Um, which is very, like, that's very Twilighty. Why is Edward Cullen in high school? Why does he immediately fall in love with this, for all intents and purposes, very bland and boring teenager? Um, Someone hasn't seen Kristen Stewart's other work. <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about the books, too. Like, she's written to be bland and boring. Um, and so, like, the the romance is not even remotely compelling, um, the characters aren't really that compelling either, except for a few of the side characters. Like, I feel like if the author had decided they were just going to make this, like, a magic high school book, they could have pulled that off, but they they tried to do too much. Mm, I see. Now, I have to ask, Prometheus is getting his liver picked out by a vulture, or some bird, uh, for eternity. Uh, no, he's not. He actually um, is helping train the Ashira in hand-to-hand combat. You know how the Greek gods and the Titans get along great? Yep. Real good. And that Zeus is really into this idea of Titans continue. <clears throat> this is and where- also really into the idea of forgiving them. This is where everything mythology connected starts to kind of run into the ground. I thought our... Uh, Eric Carter Necromancer books did a really yeah. good job with this because it kind of takes the uh, the American gods yeah. sort of idea where it's like you gods need people to believe in them and the fewer people who believe in them, the weaker and weaker and weaker they get. And so like Quetzalcoatl is barely enough to be able to, he's made of trash whenever yeah. he appears because nobody's really into Aztec, you know, pantheons anymore. So I like that because then it kind of explains why fire is just sort of regular fire now. Nobody believes in Quetzalcoatl, so he can't do Quetzalcoatl fire. But if you're not going to take that angle, and if Atlas is a real person, then it's like, well, I can tell you where to find him. Yep. It's at the bottom of the world uh, holding it up. <laughs> like, Well, no, he's actually in a cave in Morocco, and he's uh, been driven insane because he thinks his twin is dead. I took Epimetheus a- is apparently I look I looked this up and it was referenced a few times in the book the the one who opened Pandora's box and everyone just decides mm. we're gonna forget about that so the whole reason we I have Pandora to have was the person who opened Pandora's box well I don't know there was something about he, he was make- given he was given Pandora as a gift from Zeus and then she opened the box so it was somehow his fault you gotta um, keep control of your woman 
And the opening of Pandora's box is the reason that they have to have the Ashira because the Ashira keep the monsters that were unleashed from Pandora's box at bay. Any examples of monsters? Sirens. <laughs> That's it? Does she get hypnotized by a siren? No, she doesn't encounter any monsters because she's just at boot camp. Oh, so there's no conflict at all. No, there's no war yet. We're just getting ready for the war. All right. Well, do you know what was left in, in Pandora's box? The only thing remaining? What was that? Hope. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Anyway. What's the most messed up story from Greek mythology that you know? Persephone is pretty messed up. Um, I... Go ahead. No, that's okay. What, what do you think? The true story of Medusa is pretty fucked up. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Turns out the ancient Greeks and Romans were not super great about victim blaming. Yeah. They also kind of hated women. Well, <laughs> that's kind of the joke about the Greeks now, isn't it? hey <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, one bet, I think one of the best things is, isn't it really convenient that the ancient Greek system of when you develop your powers matches up? perfectly with the American age of consent. I know. So it's not weird that someone who's 4,000 years old develops a crush because she's an adult now. It's okay. Well, more than that, it's like, oh, this Greek idea of when you become a person or the adult that can really come into their powers is 18. Yep. Uh, (laughs) I'm not so sure that that adds up with the rest of the Greek stuff. All right. Probably not, no. Uh, who cares? Um, I'm not going to lie, Mick. I don't remember anything about the book that I got you. I know it's called Ghoster. Well, yeah, you did the intro. Yeah, I did the intro. I, and I remembered that it was called Ghoster. I do not remember what type of book it is or what it is about. What what genre are we in here? Well, that's a fun question oh, now good. that you ask it. Because this book's not so... Mm, this book's very Stephen King-like ending. Ooh, that's not a good sign. Redeemed it immeasurably. Oh! Because this book is about a woman is going to move in with a boyfriend quite rapidly in England. Uh, She's going to move in with a boyfriend quite rapidly, and then she shows up and he is just totally not there. He is totally ghosted her. Gone. Okay. And it was hinted in the summary that this is a supernatural event, like something is wrong. Uh, I think even in the summary it says he's been sucked into the phone, which is like a huge spoiler for the actual uh, plot of the book. Yeah, that seems like a really weird thing to just put in your... And so I feel kind of bad because this is not something that should be that important in literature, but I don't think any of us are reading literature on this podcast. No, we are not, except for the one time that we did good books. Yes. Oh, I still read uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora. Oh, yeah, but I read uh, All Quiet. All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes. That's the only literature we've ever had yeah. on Bibliophile. Anyway, La- continue. Lies of Locke Lamora is very, very good. It's just not literature, okay, everybody? So... When you're writing a book that's not going to be like literature, pacing is quite important. Indeed. As John Swartzwelder, writer for The Simpsons, said in his only ever interview that came out recently, nobody wants to read a book. You've got to catch their eye with something exciting in the first paragraph while they're in the process of throwing (laughs) the book away. If it's exciting enough, they'll stop and read it. Then you've got to put something even more exciting in the second paragraph to suck them in further, and so on. It's exhausting for everybody, but it's got to be done. 
And this book did not do that, even Ooh. though even though it was a quite good book, it didn't do that. Interesting. That's okay. its biggest mistake. This author really does have a great ear for a dialogue and relationships between characters. That is missing in a lot of our Yeah, especially given the conversation we had on our last episode about like your Too many words. My my book had was just all dialogue with nothing explaining the dialogue. Yeah. And then yours was the opposite of that. So for you to then immediately in the next book hit on one that handled dialogue well is pretty good. Indeed. Speaking of John Swartzwelder, there is a famous Simpsons quote that goes, When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> because the whole plot of this uh, Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie episode is that they're going to the fireworks factory, but Poochie shows up and interrupts the whole thing. And when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? So the fact that I don't know that it, I don't know for sure that it was in the summary, but I got it into my head that the dude was sucked into his phone before I read the book. Yeah. It does not mention that the dude was sucked into his phone until, I have to say, above 88%. Ooh. And so a lot of this, I'm just asking, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? When is she going to go into the phone and go get him? I almost feel like that was a mistake in whoever blurbed the yeah, book. For like sure. They should not have included that detail because then you would have spent 88% of the book in suspense of like... Coming up with your own theories about what happened to him. Indeed, because that's the actual book. So that's the point of who, a book like that. Guy who wrote this, I'm sorry. I, I maybe you paced it very well well for a thriller, but your blurb and the Stephen King ending makes it a horror. So what's the Stephen King ending? Well, I'll get there. Okay. So okay. she's gonna move in and she's had trouble with uh uh boyfriends in the past. And if it wasn't for the fucks and the stuff that, that comes along in this book, this seems like something your youth pastor might recommend you read. Because she has a social media addiction. She Ooh. uh had gotten broken up with several times and can't stop I wouldn't call it stalking because that sounds like a threatening sort of thing, but can't stop checking in on her exes all the time yeah. and can't tear herself away from the phone. It does have some pretty funny parts about like, uh, I needed all those likes on my bullshit quote tweets of, of terrible politicians yeah. and, and this sort of stuff. Um, and so she is a paramedic and at one job she's checking in on her ex and a patient faints with her coworker and tumbles her down the stairs. The coworker down the stairs, oh. and so she throws her smartphone away, gets a Nokia brick, and is no longer on any social media. She's trying to break this. Okay. And so then she uh, meets this guy at a at a digital retreat or whatever, and they they date a lot over long distance. And then she decides to move and move in with him in a different town. And when she gets up, he's not there. Uh, he's just gone. Everything is out of his entire apartment except for the phone he left on the balcony. And to her, it's very clear that he, like, the most drastic stood her up ever and moved out of his apartment entirely. And so the central sort of conflict is how, where did he go? And the beginning act, I suppose, one and a half is, I have his phone if I open this up, is this going to like submit me back into my worst demons? Yeah. So now I'm going through his social media and his all of his stuff to try and figure out where did he go, which is a pretty interesting conflict. 
But yeah, I that's an that is an interesting concept. I like I like where this it is, is headed so far. Very high concept horror and yeah. thriller. It starts as a very high concept thriller. And it's very clearly about this woman is addicted in this very specific way. And the more she tries to figure out about this mystery, the worse it goes for her and this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And then she blah, 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 searching him out. There's all these weird pictures on the phone and all these weird videos on the phone and, and people sleeping at night. And so she's thinking, like, what kind of fucked up dude is this? And, like, finds that things aren't matching up. He was telling her lies, like, he's not vegan and all this sort of stuff. He's in, way in debt. He's renting this apartment. He didn't buy it, like he said. And, and so she's freaked out. And she goes and solves mysteries and mysteries and mysteries. Finally breaks open his diary app, which is the one place where this this author's yeah this author's uh, voice for dialogue comes across because it's not dialogue at that point; it's monologues. Yeah, and the 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 main character's inner monologue is very very good. She has this like doubt and anxiety, yeah. and it's it's tied relatively behind the scenes and relatively well done to like I spend all my time insulting myself and. Uh, doubting myself so that my mom could never uh, get to it first or whatever. And so it's like this really not super drawn out, like we never meet mom. It's just sort of referenced like, hey, my mom is really terrible and so now I'm really anxious and in this specific way and I have all this self-doubt and I get broken up with, so blah, 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 blah. And so uh, her voice in her head is really good. But then we read this guy's diary and he's like, I have the demon inside me and I'm trying to break the demon and all this sort of stuff. And Okay, bud. It just is not super. That part, it really fell apart. And I feel bad because this dude, she like, she is a best friend and the texting is on point. Like our main character capitalizes and, and uses punctuation yeah. and the other one doesn't. Which we all have a friend who is the opposite of us in yeah. that way. <laughs> and so it's not, it's not even like a... Uh, are you going to like not that bad not like a texting ad- or advertisement from 2006 or whatever yeah. like it's very realistic like she uses you and the eyes are uh, like lowercase mm-hmm. but will spell out words and make jokes and it's very real except for this diary shit which is terrible but it turns out that this dude uh for <laughs> exposition reasons uh keeps a diary in his phone that she finally breaks into and his thing hers is social media his thing is a very very bad porn addiction Ooh, okay. and so he has this really low confidence and he's addicted to porn so he's been using viagra while they have sex and even though he's really hot he thinks she's basically leading him on and like doesn't believe her and there's very real even if the diary and the porn addiction as it's written is not incredibly like true to life there's a very clear battle of inequity go or uh self inadequacies yeah uh going on between these two which is I, great i do love your your thought that this is the like other than the swearing this is the kind of book that your yeah. youth pastor would recommend yeah like- you can't fall in love if one of you watches porn the other's on twitter <laughs> um and so it is high concept it's very like this phone is bad for you this phone is the villain blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then it's, but the fact is, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? He's in the phone and all this stuff. And she's seeing ghosts and blah, 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 blah. And then the very, very end, uh, she, her, his phone, I suppose, that she's been using this entire time. His phone is thrown into the ocean during a confrontation with a coworker. and, And she throws his or whatever. 
And then that guy dies in a blaze of fire that night. The co-worker? The co-worker. And then she sleepwalks out to the pier and basically hears the boyfriend drowning and jumps into the water and saves the phone. And comes back out of it and blah, blah, blah. She gets back home and the best friend is like, "I, I have taken weeks off of work to come with you. It's a fucking phone. I'm going to break it. And she's going to snap it. And she gets struck by lightning and thrown out of a skyscraper to her death. And then the woman who has been pitched to be boyfriend's mom comes in the door and is like, I'm not actually his mom. I serve the master. And the master is the phone. And anybody who tries to harm the phone gets killed. And she had some shit wrong with her, but now gets to live outside the phone, serving the master's needs. Spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, and this dude is a good author. This book is not good. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. It's really weird that those two things yeah. could be good. I feel <laughs> like the, the first 80% of the book that you described and then this last part are two very different books. Quite a Stephen King ending. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she shows up and uh, is like, yeah, you're just uh, this phone uh, basically fills or creates and then fills a hole in your life. And so this phone, the boyfriend had gotten it from a woman. We don't get to find out what her deal was, but mm-hmm. uh, the main character sees her ghost several times. Um, and then we don't get to figure out what her deal was, but the boyfriend gets this phone for cheap. And it won't stop basically auto-playing porn at his weakest moments. And so he can't stop because his phone's got its hooks in him. Um, And then he tries to burn it on a charcoal grill after he has to sell all his stuff in his house for debts. That's why everything is gone. Uh, Tries to burn it on a charcoal grill and then he gets sucked into the phone. And that's where he went. And so the main character is like, oh my god, no! And she tries to hit it with a hammer, but the phone displays boyfriend's face. So she (gasps) hesitates and gets sucked into the phone too. And so the actual like kind of epilogue is one of the better parts. Like now that I know we're in full on cheesy horror territory, it was kind of like, oh yeah, cool. That's, there's no fireworks factory. It's a different genre than what I was led to believe. Yeah. And so she is at a, she's got two beautiful twins that won't stop playing uh, games on their iPads. And then the husband is like at the kitchen counter in this idyllic sort of apartment. He's at the kitchen counter just fucking jerking it constantly. And they never talk to each other. They only text each other. She just gets all these friend requests and all these notifications, even though she doesn't say it. So it's like they're trapped in their their poetic punishment. Or yeah. And so we get to see one bit of it where... She's like, wait a minute, we've never actually had sex since we've lived in this place. I don't know what those kids' names are. Yeah. Like, we don't talk to each other. This is awful. And she tries to leave the apartment, goes out the sliding glass door, and now she's in this weird house, and she's the ghost, and a new guy has the phone, and then the book ends. And so it's really like, once it got to where it's like, oh, this is just cheesy as fuck. Yeah. It really got fine once it was super duper cheesy. Yeah. It was like the thriller when I'm like, when am I going to get to the fuck? I thought it was going to be sci-fi, but it was just cheesy horror instead. And that's fine. And this author could do a lot worse, I guess. Yeah. But he could also pick, uh, I don't know. He just Stephen King to the shit out of it. And whoever wrote the blurb really fucked him over. And if he did it, then you need an agent. But like you, that guy is Yeah, that's really disappointing because it like, if you hadn't, known the piece about the guy getting sectioned in the phone, it might have been a very different readership experience. Yeah. Um, Nick, I have to ask you. Yes. 
is reading this book the reason that you left your phone on top of the car and then got it run over on the interstate? I wish, or else I get struck by lightning. Are you addicted to your phone? No, but that does bring up a good point. I didn't start reading it until we got back, but it does bring up a really good point. Going back to the John Swartzwitter uh, quote, where he says you have to trick everybody into reading the next thing. Like you have to keep people's attention or else they're Mm going to set it aside. This book does a really bad job of that because it's told, especially in the beginning, jumping all over the place. Not, not midnight sins, time skips, but like she'll get to the apartment and remember the first time she was there. Yeah. Get to another room and remember the first time they were there. And so it's a bunch of these chapter breaks to a scene that I don't really give a shit about. Yeah. And I don't know if this is just not a great editor being like, do we need this scene? Does it really show that much more about the characters than what we can already pick up? Yeah. Or if there's some genius move going on, because guess what happened? Guess what I did every single time it moved to a new scene I didn't care about? Check your phone. Picked my phone up. And so I was really like, is this just like a genius level art installation? <laughs> Hidden as a bad book. Like, that's good. And I, I might be giving this entirely too much credit because it, it is also a thing that other books have done. Yeah. But it, I did start halfway through the book. Like, every time I'd hit a chapter break and I'd set it down and pick my phone, I'd be like, no. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe not. Ah. And so it, it also works, other than the swearing and the, the stuff, as a pretty good youth pastor thing because it does actually legitimately kind of force you to think, like, I am on my phone quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it it is a Twilight Zoney kind of thing where yeah. it has like a except for whatever. I can't get into the Burgess Meredith episode where the entire morals fuck you nerd. Here's your damn books. <laughs> I love that Twilight Zone episode so much. But anyway, um it, it like if it is a genius level art installation hidden as a book. Oh my god. But I don't this think author's it was. real good. Yeah, this author is really like it flows the characters mean something they're not per like yeah. obviously the the protagonist is flawed in this huge way yeah and it's but that's it's kind point. of fun yeah but even the 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 sidekicks and the the sidekicks the friend and the side characters are all kind of fucked up in their own ways mm-hmm. in in smaller ways and stuff uh it's a good play where everyone is wrong as the opposite of blues traveler would say but anyway that was ghoster or ghosted i had a dickens of a time actually trying to find it to uh ghoster because there's about a billion things called ghosted which is what i went for first but so all in all not the worst experience reading i i once it sucked me in (laughs) uh it was not that hard to keep reading it damning with faint praise i know yeah. but on a book i didn't choose to read that's about as high as it gets yeah that's pretty good all right so that was ghoster, ghoster and chaos ghoster chaos coming this fall chaos ghoster that sounds like a, a ride at six flags <laughs> six flags salem spooky six flags spooky. um that is gonna do it for us this week you can go ahead and get onto that addiction machine you call the phone uh and follow <laughs> us on twitter at dickie ma for me d-i-c-k-i-m-a-a or bibliovile for the podcast and i'm at susan j s with three u's s-a-n-j the intro music to our podcast is babe of the night by the band elixir off of their album rampant good night everybody good night